Good day and welcome back to a fresh season of film exploration with Ash Hurry. And this season we're going to be doing the somewhat lost subgenre but always ever exhilarating of title character movies. And for that we're going to kickstart off things with one of the most famous monsters in cinematic landscape. And that is of course, no not King Kong, that will come later, but my favourite Godzilla. And considering Oppenheimer is in the cinemas right now, I thought best appropriate to start off with a monster movie that is a direct result of a nuclear explosion, in fictitious terms, or maybe not, who knows. So we shall be talking about the very much hated by most critics but loved by cult classic group that elastically expands across the globe that epitomises a term, nostalgic 90s. So we're going to deep dive into Roland Emmerich's 1998 Godzilla, bringing back the team of Dean Devlin, and Roland Emmerich, the team behind Stargate and Independence Day. And the film stars Matthew Broderick, Jean Reno, Mario Patillo, Hank Azaria, and Kevin Dunn. Nineteen fifty-four, the year that gave us John Travolta, Denzel Washington, Jackie Chan, Oprah Winfrey, and the biggest star of them all, Godzilla. Yes, the year Tomoyuku Tanaka got together with a team of artistic recluses and designed this fictitious, fearless, colossal creature. It was a very significant year for Japanese cinemas because the film sort of triggered the term tukusatsu, which is the technique for practical special effect filmmaking, which would be the core of Japanese filmmaking for years to come. And it would eventually migrate its way into Hollywood, where this method would, of course, be used for decisive films like Jaws and Jurassic Park, and I'm sure other films have decided to use it besides Steven Spielberg. But we're in the era of franchises, sequels, remakes, adaptations, and cinema is regurgitating them one after the other. And front and centre at the moment is comic book movies. That's right, I'm talking about the MCU. At the moment, they are still going, producing interconnecting multi-universal films that intertwine, interlink, and interact with one another. But they are still short of what the Guinness Book Records calls the biggest ongoing franchise in cinema history, which, believe it or not is the topic in question. As of right now, that's right, Godzilla has produced 38 films. That's 33 Japanese and 5 American. Technically, it's 37 since the next Godzilla vs. Kong, The New Empire, is yet to be released. Making this, as of right now, the longest franchise in cinematic history. But Marvel are only 8 films behind, so in a couple of years, that record will be beaten. So, and just to play suit remarkably enough, from 1977 to 1979, Marvel actually issued a 24-issue comic book series in which Godzilla himself squared off against both the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. There are just no restriction these days. Who knows? Maybe this will be a reality time. I don't know. We we don't know. I mean, we saw what happened with Spider-Man, so who knows with Godzilla? So, yes thought appropriate to talk about this movie since Oppenheimer is hot on the radar in cinemas right now to talk about a creature that was engraved as a direct result of the radioactive waste that affected Japan thanks to Oppenheimer's creation of the atomic bomb that the you know the Americans uh, decided to use on uh, well they bombed Nagasaki and Hiroshima Godzilla I think is written as a metaphor for America some say the horror personified of the aftermath of the obliteration of those two cities when Harry Truman gave the go-ahead to bomb Japan. So ironically, the Americans wanted a shot at making this movie and, of course, letting it loose on one of their most overused playgrounds in cinematic history. That's right. I'm talking about New York City. 
This seems to be the plain film for every major blockbuster. I mean, it's the Avengers, you got John Wick, The Day the Earth Stood Still, Sex in the City, Deep Impact, and even the film's rival at the box office at the time, Michael Bay's Armageddon, who cleverly references Godzilla in the opening scene, and both films knocking down the Chrysler building for some unknown reason. Which brings me on to Roland Emmerich, who comes in hot and heavy, setting his benchmark for the nickname disaster director like wes anderson with his symmetry scorsese with his gangsters michael bay with explosions woo with doves tarantino with feet emmerich establishes his own beloved trademark to damaging well-known landmarks this film alone he takes a swing at the chrysler building as we mentioned brooklyn bridge and madison square garden strictly staying within the new york city parameters now, he's taken other stabs at the Big Apple in his other films, burning it to a crisp in Independence Day and doing the exact opposite, and freezing it in Day After Tomorrow. Eric, of course, delves out NYC most famously with the White House being blown up in Independence Day and ripping LA a new one with a bunch of tornadoes in 2012, the film, not the date. Curiously enough, the filming of this film was interrupted by a tornado in New Jersey, which pushed back productions back two weeks and increase the budget, but we'll come to the budget in just a second. But instead of weather, end-of-the-world prophecies, aliens, or even gigantic waves, he chooses an iconic beast that switches continents and drops Hollywood a fresh and 90s look on what it would look like if Hollywood or Godzilla ruined New York instead of Tokyo. I believe the actual symbolic gesture of this movie is on point, the irony that the Americans created this beast and correctly destroying its heart and soul in retaliation of the atomic bomb dropped on Japan. Whether that is perceived in the movie is another story, but given the director is German, he may very well have meant it. Roland Emmerich admitted that he despised the original Godzilla and only approved to do the project if he could do whatever the hell he wanted, which is why this film is not well received by critics, because he completely went against the mythos of Godzilla. And I do want to point out something here. Regardless of the film's less than presumed box office performance, this film actually made a ton of money worldwide, more than any other Godzilla film. This film is a massive hit in places like Sweden, Hungary, and most of Europe, because the Japanese version never really made its way to those parts of the world. And even when they did, most of them thought they were outdated and dreadful. Roland Emmerich was not even the first choice for the director of this movie, but he was the one that accepted the terms met with the studio. James Cameron was, of course, the first after the success of Terminator 2 and True Lies, but he was busy doing an unknown project at the time, which turned out to be Titanic. Then they approached Tim Burton, Joe Johnston, both passed on the film. Paul Verhoeven also passed. And then they finally settled on Jan Devont, who, for me, has the greatest first two movies ever done with Speed and Twister. Shame this guy didn't go anywhere. I mean, he did Speed 2 and then he did The Haunting of Liam Neeson and Owen Wilson. But yeah, he kind of faded away. He was like a cinematographer for Die Hard and then he became a director. He did Speed, then Twister. I'm like, this guy is going places and then, yeah, he just fizzled out. Anyways, he said he would do the film for $150 million to do, you know, for, for Godzilla. And he accepted, in which the studio said, no, we can't do that. So then they went to the next choice and they grabbed Roland Emmerich instead, who ended up going over budget anyways because of the things like tornadoes in New Jersey, amongst other unnatural things, which annoyed both the studio and, of course, Jan de Bont, seeming he was a true fan of Godzilla and Emmerich wasn't. With a movie of this size, Roland Emmerich did what he does best. He goes big to best reflect the monster himself. He goes completely all out for this. This man literally spent half a million dollars on a 20-second trailer of a clip of Godzilla's foot crushing a T-Rex skeleton in the Natural History Museum with the tagline, Size Does Matter. 
I mean, the footage was never used in the actual movie, and the teaser came out a whole year before the release of the movie, but they were going for it, making a statement, building it up. Remember, this was a... what, five years after Jurassic Park? And that trailer came out at the same time, roughly, The Lost World was coming out as well, which was the second Jurassic Park movie. So that teaser got some serious hype and got people talking sort of a backhanded slap to Spielberg, one could argue. So Emmerich was on board. He had his budget, which we would later go massively over, and they were ready to go. People like Toho Studios, the company that made Godzilla, and even Steven Spielberg was making their voices heard and told Emmerich not to make this movie. Steven Spielberg was telling Emmerich that Hollywood should not make or remake Godzilla as a silly idea and out of spite he didn't even see the movie. I think he might have had another motive here considering his competition for this film was, you know, you know, Lost World was getting hindrance by Godzilla and that teaser trailer probably didn't do anything to help the situation. So, we know he had nothing to worry about, but Spielberg made his voice heard. Anyway, you thought that was bad. Toho Studios actually sent TriStar Studios a 75-page dossier about what they can and cannot do with Godzilla's character, which was a tad excessive, but there you go. It had things like Godzilla's origins had to be tied to a nuclear incident. That's fair enough. He cannot eat people, only fish. Yeah, maybe. He is sort of an anti-hero, so we get that. He has to have three rows of dorsal fin. He has to have a long tail. No more than three toes on his feet, four fingers on his hand. He cannot be made fun of, and he cannot die in this movie. I mean, they, they sort of followed these things, given the cliffhanger at the end, but many of these points are, of course, disregarded since Patrick Stotopoulos, the designer of Godzilla for this movie, never received this precious 75-page dossier, so he just designed the creature however he wanted. And it still did match some of the requests made on this dossier. If that name, by the way, seems familiar, to you by the way they named the main character after him and having a gag about getting his name wrong throughout the whole film so there you go matthew broderick's character is named after the creature designer for godzilla nick Detopolis. the thing that is funny is that later down the line toho studios would dismiss some of the rules in that dossier and when they would make a new godzilla movie so i think they really sort of realized they need to sort of move with the times here's the thing years later this film had been completely trash kind of like its competition armageddon saying how unrealistic this film is how they show NASA the film as a training exercise to show how wrong it is for Armageddon and how Godzilla keeps changing sizes throughout the whole movie. Guys, it's just a movie. You've just got to enjoy it for the time it came out. But there you go. We have people like that. The beauty of these films, the 1998 year, two years from Y2K, these films were very much the classification of a popcorn movie. These were blockbusters. These films were a good time at the cinema. Say what you want, but there is not a single dull section in this movie. Yeah, sure, some bits you may roll your eyes at or whatnot, but it created an experience. Emmerich even said he regretted the decision to make this film, but he still prides it on how much fun the audience still has watching it. I mean, that's surely what counts, right? Okay, fine, you want to make money for the studio, you want the audience to be happy, you want the critics to praise the film, and you want the film to be talked about in 20 years and become timeless or nostalgic. And more prominently, you want the audience to have an enjoyable view and experience. That's sort of the five things you've got to check. And I'll tell you something, it's almost impossible to have all five of them. But if you've at least got one of them, your movie is going to be fine in the history of cinema. Godzilla was a fun ride. Yeah, okay, the movie didn't make as much money for the studio, but technically on a global basis, it made profit, just not meeting you know, the high expectations based on Eric's last return, which was Independence Day. He sort of overachieved with his last movie. So he made money, even though Sony demanded a staggering 80% profit from larger movie theaters and 90% from smaller ones rather than the usual 60 because the film performed badly in America, some cinema chains were really quick to blame the movie, hence the backlash. 
But yes, the movie did make money. The audience, okay, fine. It was received quite badly, but there is a large amount of people around the world that adore this movie. So they, you know, so they still tick some of this box. The critics, yeah, well, okay, the critics hated this movie, but critics are relentless. I mean, my advice is probably don't make a sleazy mare character in this film and name it after the world's most respected movie critic, Roger Ebert. But he slated Independence Day and Stargate, so Emmerich didn't care and named the mayor, the mayor and Godzilla after him and made him the most repulsive, stupid man in this movie. The film is going to be talked about in 20 years by me, and it is most certainly nostalgic. But the thing is, does it hold above the rest? It is still an enjoyable movie experience. This is why this film works, and it will be sitting fine in the archives of film. Godzilla was heavily scapegoated for a lot of things, but I think it was more importantly ridiculed. Maybe I'm being soft here because Ferris Bueller is one of my favourite films and it was good to see Matthew Broderick headline a blockbuster movie. And the director must have been a fan because the elevator music in this movie is Dunker Show in which Broderick lip syncs in a memorable scene in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I like Broderick. He was the only one of the main cast to actually defend this movie's bad reputa- uh, reputation years later. Hank Azaria and Jean Reno publicly dislike this film, so I respect Broderick for standing strong. And speaking of Hank Azaria, the film has a random record for having the biggest amount of Simpson voice actors in one movie, along with Harry Shearer and a few others. But anyway, so Godzilla was blamed for single-handedly for ruining the monster genre for several years. But another film came out in 1998 about a giant creature called Mighty Joe Young. It had Bill Paxton. That movie bombed much worse than Godzilla. So that was probably the reason monster movies were missing for a good decade after 1998. This film is a reinvention of what Godzilla was in the late 50s. The outdated special effects were revamped, the story was dropped to the other side of the world, and it was remade, as most films are now these days, into a western joyride to sell tickets, simplify the mythology, and just create a situation on a big stage to make a damn good movie. One thing you can say is Emmerich went big and went all out to try and give audiences a fulfillment when watching this movie. We all know Godzilla's, we have some idea of it, but Emmerich gave it something else. It's like the zombie genre. We all know what zombies are, but Danny Boyle decided to let them run instead of walk. Yes, there were some black, you know, some, you know, critics saying that's rubbish, blah, blah, blah. There were some comments, but you are always going to get this in this business. Emmerich basically did the same. He said he wanted Godzilla to be fast. Apparently, he can run about 200 miles an hour. He can't catch a cab, but in fairness, New York City has a lot of obstacles, so yeah almost believable to digest i guess but a film that had what 35 tons of steel used to build the set 200 foam fishes artificial rain throughout the entire movie i think they used 2.4 million gallons 20 car thumpers to lift the cars up to mimic big vibration steps enough timber to build 50 homes these are the kind of things that create a believability for us to even be tempted to go see this movie when catching a 90 second trailer Emmerich was the perfect director of the 90s, on par with Michael Bay. Those two existed for that decade and slowly dissolved as time went on. It's sad, but it happens decade after decade. And if you're good enough, you might survive a good two decades or three decades of consistently good films. Like Scorsese, Tarantino, Wes Anderson, Christopher Nolan. But it's also important to have directors like uh, Roland Emmerich, Bay, Ellis, Rodriguez where they do what the pretentious won't do, and that is simply to be explosive, not to be careful, and just create a world where people can get lost with absolute mayhem and chaos. And that, for me, 
is what this film represents, and that's why I will defend Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Like Jaws, which is regarded as one of the greatest monster movies, the first of blockbusters, it's amazing how much solitarity there is with, you know, similarity there is with Jaws and Godzilla, a bunch of misfits brought in to save the day, the community or city affected, no one believe in the main character, and of course, the famous screen time of the Telltale character is diminished to minutes. I think in Godzilla, Godzilla actually has less than 11 minutes of screen time, or like under 8% of the film's runtime. They figured out it was on par with Jaws, where we never really see the shark until the third act. Anyway, it somehow still holds the record out of all the 37 films that were made to do of Godzilla in one movie, which over 100, I think is thanks to the uh, to the nest scene at the end, where they have over 100 Godzillas. So that's a cool record to have, because in all the other Godzilla movies, there's only one Godzilla. But listen, that's all we have time for with Godzilla. I'm just waffling away now. But thank you for tuning in to my first episode back in a while with title characters. And I shall be back with some recent additions on my next podcast, which will be out next week, every Sunday. But you can catch me on Instagram and listen to me on iTunes, Spotify, Google and Amazon. You can also see me co-host on Quantum Recast. Give these guys a follow. Amazing podcast. So give them a nice little follow. But for now... That's all my social media platforms, and thank you for tuning into Film Exploration with Ash. Hurry. Hurry.